good to have you back during the middle of the week, our Wednesday prayer time, fellowship, Bible study, all combined. <clears throat> Tonight we'll be looking at Psalm 52, so you can turn there in your Bibles. What I've been doing is going through Psalms and uh, just looking at the Psalms, but then reflecting on, on some aspect of prayer in each psalm that we look at. And you can find that in, in many of the psalms because it expresses the heart of a believer. And when we, express in a, when we see that, that expression of our heart, we see dealing with a lot of the, um, the issues that we deal with day to day, some of the frustrations that we deal with as believers, uh, the challenges that we face, um, and some encouragement. Today we'll look at a, a comparison or contrast between the evil man and the righteous man. A psalm often does that to remind us that it does pay to be righteous. And in fact, righteous is what, living a righteous life is what ultimately pays. And so we need not get torn down by this world's philosophy thinking that you have to cheat to get ahead, you have to be evil to, uh, to, to, to gain some respect or gain some goods. Um, and so God's word reminds us that, no, if we are faithful to him, then uh, we are on the path that God wants us to be on. So let's look at that comparison tonight. Psalm 52. Why do you boast, O evil? Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Notice he calls this evil person a mighty man. Perhaps this man was might, mighty in respects of the world. Uh, one of the, the headlines to the chapter talks about an incident that um, David had with a man called Dog, the Edomite. And uh, he, was, he was one who um, basically betrayed David to, to, to try to impress the, the rulers of the day um, and to try to get ahead. And so uh, David inquired those kind of battles in his life. And I think we uh, uh, um, encounter some of those things in, in our own personal walk. Those who are evil, um, who uh, say hurtful things about us, and sometimes just to impress somebody else or to gain the favor of somebody else. And that's what uh, Dog had done. This evil man, uh, the psalm would look at a couple things about him. First of all, his speech. He boasts of evil. Not just does evil, but boasts about it. We, uh, that's something that we see um, in this world. People who not only do wrong, but um, promote it, project it as if it's something that is, is, uh, highlights them or something that makes them look good. Um, and that's what this man does. But notice what, what it says in verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, almighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Now he contrasts this man's boasting with God's steadfast love. He says, God's love is amazing. It endures. And while you're boasting of evil, even while you're doing that, God's love is shining and showing. And, and one of the things it's highlighting is how, how gracious God is. You know, sometimes when, when I see somebody boasting, I get a little mad. 
Uh, I kind of want to show them a thing or two. You know, <laughs> you think you boasting. Let me show you that you got nothing to boast about. God could do that, but it says his steadfast love endures. He's going to take care of that person. But even while he's doing that, he has this love for his people and a love that allows those who are wicked, even those who are wicked, to come to him. That's an amazing love that God has. Even while he has that love, the wicked are boasting of their evil deeds. So one thing that identifies this man in his, in his wrong and his evil is his speech. That reminds us, if that in fact identifies a person, shouldn't we, be, shouldn't we make sure that our speech identifies us rightly and not have those kind of marks against us? What kind of speech do we have? What do people around us think about how we speak, how we communicate? Uh, communicating, as you know, is not just what you say, because especially with technology today, we can say things in a lot of different ways. But all of that is our communication. What does this say about us? It should be speaking. It does speak about us. Is it, is it identifying? Is it, is it a right mark about us? Well, one thing that identified this man was his, his speech. It, he boasts of evil. Verse 2, it says his tongue plots destruction. And it, it gives a, us a, a, a metaphor like a razor. His tongue was like a razor. Um, cutting cutting, cutting sharply. Um, our tongues can be very sharp. Um, and if we're not careful, they can cause a lot of destruction. It's amazing. Um, had this incident with, with my car. I actually, Donna was driving a car and uh, she parked it and a woman got mad at her and, and, and took a, uh, uh, scratched it, just ran up and down the side of the car with a sharp object. It's amazing how much damage you can do with just a sharp tongue or a sharp instrument. Our tongues are instruments that can be like that. With a, with a, with a sharp razor, a kid can slash an expensive pair of, of tires and ruin them for good. With a sharp tongue, we can damage, uh, do a lot of damage, and, and that damage you cannot take back. And so we need to be careful about our tongues because it's a mark of an evil person to use their tongue for destruction. He also mentions in verse... Badly, right? Always speaking evil. But what an evil person does is, is often their speech is deceitful. In other words, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's poor. And that's what's deceiving about them. They are not always as they appear. Sometimes they appear good when, in fact, they're evil. Sometimes they appear evil, and they are, in fact, evil. But it's, you, you, sometimes we say, well, that person doesn't sound so bad to me. Thank you. Okay now? Mm -hmm. So that person doesn't sound so bad to me. Well, their speech is de deceptive. It's not always that way. But it, but it can be and often is, and so deceit. He uses that word again uh, later on. Um, we'll find it. Verse 4. So we see it in verse 2. We'll see it in verse 4. 
you love all words that devour, O oh, deceitful tongue. Um, it's amazing when, when, when a person who doesn't love God, sometimes they come into church and we might not know the difference between them and someone else. Um, they may even say things or use praise language that, that almost identifies them with a, a child of God, but they may not be. And so uh, when you think about that, as a children of God, our tongues should, we should not be deceitful. We should be plain. You know, Jesus said, let your yea be yea, yet your yes be yes, and no be no. Don't be deceitful. Don't, don't be tricking and fooling. Be what you should be as a child of God. Uh, we, we continue on. In, um, his desires betray him for who he is. His speech betray, betrays him. His desires. Verse 3, he loves evil more than good. He loves lying more than speaking what is right. He loves words that devour. I want to just point out one of those. Loves lying more than speaking what is right. I've been around people who lie when they don't really need to. And that's how you can tell who they are. It's like, wow. I know what you said. It's just so, it's so ridiculous. It's so off the chart. You didn't even have to say that. But you did anyway because it's your nature. And, and, and sometimes they'll tell you something and it's like, I wish I hadn't asked you a question because you, now you opened your mouth and, and, and out came lies. You didn't have to say that. Why do you try to impress me or trick or fool me or have me think one thing? You don't impress me. Um, but they lie because it is their nature to lie even when they don't have to. They said they love lying more than speaking what is right. Um, verse 5 through 7, we see God's judgment on this, on this evil Man, not only do we see God's judgment, one thing that's, that I think catches my attention is we see the righteous response to God's judgment. Verse 5, the first couple words are uh, very um, meaningful. But God. So we see their wrong living and we see but God. God steps in and he's going to do something. He says a couple things he'll do. He will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. None of those three things are good. <laughs> God is showing us acting in a very powerful way and he in fact is going to do that when he finally judges. We, we may see some of that on earth. We may not see it. But God is going to do that as he judges the wicked in one way or another, whether it's here on earth during this lifetime, their lifetime here, or whether it's in the eternal judgment, he's going to judge them. But look at the response of the righteous to God's judgment in verse 6. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Three things they do. They see, they fear, and they mock. They see what God, this is the righteous now. They see God's judgment. They fear. They, they see, in other words, they take note of it. Have you ever seen somebody, especially while I'm driving, um, I've seen people look and not see? You know what I mean. When you got these things, we're often looking but not noticing. Okay. We're looking like this and we look up, but we're not really noticing or paying attention to what we see. We just kind of see it and don't recognize it. 
Here it's saying the righteous see. They, in other words, they take note of what God does in judgment. Why do we need to see that? And why do we need to take note of it? Because it reminds us of who God is and what he's going to do. And that's why the second thing falls in line. They fear. We see how God deals with judgment. Now, the wicked have a tendency to just ignore, act like they didn't see. Like, wow, you went to court and the judge said this would happen and you act like he didn't say that or that, that's, that's not really going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, in our case, sometimes in this system of justice, sometimes it doesn't happen. And that's why they don't take note of it. But they often think God is like a man. Remember the last psalm we looked at? God says, you think I'm like you, and I'm not. And so they don't pay attention to what God says and don't contemplate on what he does and fear that. So the righteous see, they fear. They do a third thing that kind of catches us off guard. They mock. They mock the wicked, they mock the evil. Look what it says. It takes some time to explain this. Verse 6, shall laugh at him saying, see the man who would not make God his refuge. Why would the righteous mock? Well, first of all, they mock because they're saying it is foolish to refuse to trust God. Notice the language there in verse 7. This is the righteous speaking. See the man who would not make God his refuge. In other words, refuge. Who refused to trust in God. It's not like they just didn't trust him. It's like, oh, I don't know if I should trust you. I, I, don't, I don't trust. It said they refused to trust him. In other words, all the evidence was there, and they just refused. They utterly refused to make God their refuge, to make God their, their uh, protection. They refuse that. And what the righteous are saying, it is foolish. It is outright foolish to reject and refuse to trust in God. We say that with our lives. We say that with our lips. And what we are saying is it's a mockery to fools to trust God and how foolish they are in that action. We're reminding ourselves of that and in essence reminding them of that as well. So we would be sure to latch on to the truth. I find this kind of thing uh, as I teach. As a father, um, you would take moments out to teach your children and say, do you see that? Did you just see that? Do you know how stupid that was that that person did? So you're mocking their foolishness so that the ones who would listen would learn and pay attention to it. And so he said the righteous mock, they laugh. They mock at this. See the man who would not make God his refuge. And then the second thing it says, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. They're saying it is foolish to trust riches for protection instead of God. And the righteous are mocking when that happens to be sure to note it so that we don't do something so stupid. We don't do something so foolish that we make note of that. Don't you hate when somebody says, yeah, you see how bad that is, and they're going to do the same thing. Now, you didn't see how bad that was. You didn't get it. The righteous are saying, I get it. I'll mock at the one 
who lives that way at the utter foolishness of living like that. Verse 8 and 9. The righteous man says he's like a green olive tree in the house of God. What is it about the olive tree? God uses that in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament to, to describe his people. In Romans, I think it's chapter 11, he talks about us being grafted, Gentiles being grafted into this olive tree. In other words, olive tree is a metaphor or a picture of God's people. And the psalmist is saying, I am like a youthful, healthy olive tree. I am healthy, a part of God's people. And then he says, not only that, I'm in the house of God. I am in the place where I am serving and I am worshiping God. I'm glad to be part of God's people who's actively worshiping, worshiping and serving him. He says three things that he does, and we can take these in our prayer time. Verse 8 and verse 9. Second part of 8, I trust. I trust. Verse 9, I thank. And verse 9 again, I wait. Those three things. I trust, I thank, and I wait. I trust what? In the steadfast love of God forever and ever. We need to remind ourselves of that. Sometimes we need to speak that to ourselves. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. When, you, when you're sick, you can say, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. When you feel you've been punished for doing right, and whether it's your circumstances that just seem to turn against you even though you've done right, you can say, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. When you've been victimized in this sinful world, treated wrongly by others, you can, that's where David was, by dog, right? You can say, I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. So we remind ourselves of that. I trust. Also, secondly, he says, I thank. I thank who? Obviously, I thank God. I'm not just thanking in general. I'm not just thanking my lucky stars. Oh, I'm so lucky. No, I thank God. What does he thank God for? Because you have done it. It is God who has poured out his steadfast love in, in our lives. We recognize him and we, we attribute it to him. I thank God. And then the third thing, I will wait. What are we waiting for? I will wait for your name. In other words, I'm waiting for the Lord to be all who he says he will be. I trust I thank and I wait. Let us reflect that in our prayers today. I trust, I thank, and I wait. We're still waiting because God hasn't fulfilled all that he said he would fulfill. And yet we trust that he has fulfilled so much that we are certain, with absolute certainty, that he's going to do all that he said he would do. And so we wait for the completion of that. Let that be reflected in our prayer.
go on into our time of meditation. Brian will lead us in that. Good evening, saints. Our meditation will be continuing in Micah. Micah 5. following a similar theme to what my father taught us, but we're looking to what we're waiting for. One part already happened, one part we're waiting for still. So Micah 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. And the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And he shall be their peace. Who is he? He's talking about Jesus. What town was Jesus born in? What does it say that this person would come from? Bethlehem. In fact, the Gospels quote this verse, verse 2. It says, You are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. Now, look at these five verses. And I know verse 5, the rest of verse 5 goes into a different section. That's why we didn't read it. But look at what we've read, and I want you to list off a description that is listed in the scripture. Don't go off on your own. Read off something that is in Micah 5, 1 through 5, that talks about Jesus. He shall shepherd his flock. He shall be their peace. Ruler of Israel, great to the ends of the earth, all right, he shall stand, it says, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. ancient days alright what do all these things mean let's go through them a little by little as we go through these phrases it says one shall be a ruler in Israel what does that mean what does that speak to about Christ he's going to be the king of all people then it says after that who's coming forth is from old from ancient days
He is eternal. But also does it speak to the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? You think God planned that Jesus will come on a whim? Uh, he decided it three months before Mary got pregnant. He's like, hey, you know this would be a good plan. Or did he plan it before the foundation of the world? From ancient days, right? In fact, the very first promise of Jesus' coming is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It says, therefore he shall give them up until the time. What does that mean? God did what with his people? What were the people under during the time of Jesus? Were they free? They were not free. What were they under? What? I wouldn't call it slavery. Who was in charge? The Romans was in charge, right? They didn't have their own government. They were underneath the Romans. And in some ways you could say they were underneath um, a false spiritual system too because who was in charge? The Pharisees, right? And we know about the Pharisees. When she who was in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return. What does that speak to? What's another way for word for return in the scriptures? Hmm? I wouldn't say reborn, but it's related to that. John the Baptist often used to tell people to repent, return, repent. So when Jesus came, what did he bring? A great what? A great repentance, a great revival, right? The church was grown, it seems like, in a blink of an eye. Think of it this way. The church was 120 when Jesus died. Five chapters in the Acts, the church is thousands and thousands. It does not seem like very much time has passed. Based off of what we see in the text, we could probably think that in a three-month span, the church went from 120 to around six or 7,000, maybe as many as 10,000. Imagine how that kind of growth feels like. And then think about through the time of Paul, the church went from sitting in Jerusalem to spreading throughout the whole Roman Empire. In fact, throughout the whole world. Sometimes when I'm going through and I hear dad preaching, sometimes I look and say, he mentioned something, and I look and look it up and see. And I was thinking about, um, he was talking about Peter for some reason. And I thought about, you know, Peter had a brother. His name was Andrew. We don't hear much about Andrew. I looked up Andrew. You know, Andrew, it said that he preached as far as Ukraine and Russia. And that they consider him their patron saint. Because they said he brought the scripture to them. They said that he is crucified on an X. Because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified like Christ was crucified. That's tradition. That he was killed on an X instead of a T. But look at how quickly the gospel has spread. Look at all the corners of the world that the gospel has touched, but we still have so much work to do. Think of it this way. We look at America. How many people do we look at as truly saved? They may know about the gospel, but they are not saved. Look at all of Europe. Many of them are more atheist than anything else. They may know about Christianity, but they have turned their backs to Christianity. Look at Africa. Africa is growing the fastest, honestly. Honestly. Out of all the continents, Africa is growing the fastest with Christianity, but they still have a lot of witchcraft and a lot of Islam. 
The Middle Eastern, Middle East has what religion? Islam. We still got to get Asia. What do they have? Buddhism and Hinduism. So we still have a lot of the world to reach out to. We still got a lot of work to do. But you know what? That's good. That means there's opportunity for growth. You know when you want to get into a company? Right before it starts to grow. Amen? God's church needs to grow. It's got to start here, right? The work of returning has not stopped just because Christ is gone. Because is he really grown? No, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Still ruling over his church. And he sent a helper down to us. His Holy Spirit. And he said, whenever two or three are gathered in his name, he is in the midst. Are we gathered in his name? And he is here. But we must remember his mission. We have to remember. All scripture speaks of him. Even Micah. Amen. Good evening, everybody. <coughs> the last service of Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, and I want to end it with prayer for the pastor's wives. So Donna and Heidi will be the focus today. Um, same format. We'll just have as many people feel led to pray. Pray. I'll pause for like a minute. If no one prays in like that minute, then I'll finish and close up. Okay? Lift up um, Donna and Heidi. We just praise you for um, the amount of work they do in this church and um, the amount of this ministry that they do. Um, we praise you that they are um, just the, 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 the love and desire of Pastor and, and um, of Brian, that they are help me to them, that they are um, continually just a, a, a point of joy and a rock for them when they deal with difficult things in this church and um, we just praise you for giving um, each of them a godly woman that they are able to call their wives and that the, the work they do here is just so much Lord so many different ministries and so many different ways that they've been through um, ministering to each of us at this church um, how they've ministered through good times and bad times and um, just the amount that they do. And we just praise you for that. We praise you for them being a good model of godly women, good model of uh, godly spouses. And we just continue to ask that you bless them and continue to grow them as well. In your name we pray.